It didn't take much more than a bottle and two chairs to make a speakeasy. This is what Daniel Okrent said in his book, Last Call, The Rise and Fall of Prohibition. Today, join us for some stories. Get your own bottle, glass, mug, and relax. This is Speak Easily, and I'm your host, Krista Stoffer. Stuff all day, but this time it's, uh, this meeting is being recorded. Okay, yeah, it's okay, I'm not gonna make a meeting. It's, it's giving consent. Yeah. The computer is... Yeah, that's 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 fine. No, you know, well, you know, do you do Zoom meetings with your kids and stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ours don't for school. No. Oh well, we do like Google Meet classroom Google thing, which is awful. kind of the same thing as a yeah. Zoom. So you're staring at a screen, awful. and yeah. Well, so. we do what we we do it we do now. We do four times a week online with us doing it all. Although the yeah. teacher she has a special meeting with every te- a teacher once once a day. And tomorrow is a day where it's like a whole class. Like we, she just goes from class to class online. Wow. So I can just kind of let her do it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. cool. enough of that. That's my life. How are you guys doing? Oh no no no. We were actually yeah. just talking about that before no, no. then because I came in like dark cloud and I said I have to get over this because if Michael and I start talking about working our children through I won't I, I won't say anything else about it uh, I, 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 that's that's it I'm done but hey we're actors we hide our pain right <laughs> right right that's 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 true or we we exploit it yeah yes you use the pain right the pain i know that's a terrible that's way to terrible. put it that's terrible and i i, I know how many times have i told a director an actor to do that so <laughs> oh that's healthy yeah <laughs> you know what just let it use it you'll feel better <laughs> no you won't <laughs> hi michael lakata how are you good how are you krista no it's it honestly this is great um I've been thinking about the podcast a lot lately just because we've had this opportunity in this weird environment to open up a little bit and make yeah. it so that we can, we can have guests like you come on. Um, we've, we've had a couple that are. Brigantine, New Jersey. Actually, that's where I am right now. Where? Wow. Brigantine, New Jersey, which is on the Jersey shore, just north of Atlantic City. Oh, nice. Brigantine. Brigantine. It's, yeah. it's a town that disappears periodically. Bring- oh, that's Brigantine. <laughs> <laughs> and it sometimes it does disappear when it's foggy. Yeah. Yeah. It would be fun to see a, a Brigantine version of Brigantine. Yeah. You know what? Maybe so we can. With like all New Jersey folks and everything. Well, yeah. I don't know about that. But, uh, <laughs> can, you, can you turn him up a little bit? Yeah. I'm having trouble yeah. here. Turn me up. Yeah. Or I can speak louder. No, you don't have to speak. We're turning you up. Yes, project, Michael. Project. project. Okay. Come on. Okay. Yeah. So, how are you right now? Good. You know, it's uh, we're down. We're, we're you know down at the shore house, right. um, which uh, is really nice because nobody's here in Brigantine at this time of the year, and uh, we 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 normally wouldn't come here, but since Layla is in school and it's online, we can come here. So it's nice, it's peaceful. You know, we're, t- takes walks, take walks on the beach. I found something called a horseshoe crab yesterday, a big thing, this big. Have you ever nice. seen a horseshoe crab? Yeah. yeah. I'll take a picture of it and send it to yeah. you, Kristen. Yeah. yeah, they're neat looking on one side and the other side is a horror show. Yeah. Well, yeah, this one was dead. Sounds like uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I thought that it might be kind of fun to, um, uh, to take it and like, you know, put, shellac it or put some clear coat over it and then 
So yeah. Lorelai says, and what are you going to do with it? You're not bringing it in the house. <laughs> that sounds like a, like a plot for a Stephen King story, where it's suddenly like you bring it into the house, and then it becomes alive somehow. Yeah. And, and then part of the family. And then They're scary looking, these things. They yeah. really are. Just, They're gross. They are scary looking. Yeah. How big are they? Uh, this is like that big, big. Uh, yeah. If you, well, here, uh, let me, let me, I'll just send it to you real quick. Okay. Um, so you can see what it looks like. I'm uh, nervous. Hold it up to the camera so it can oh, go. You know what? Unfortunately, it's on my other camera. It's not oh. on, trust okay. me, they're big. they have this one long stinger that comes out of their nose and it's, but this one's dead. There was another one that was alive. You know, the tide comes in here really, really far. And I guess it brings them in and then they can't get out. So, okay. Yeah. So I'm fine. So let's. Why don't we talk about <laughs> this? Really does sound like a great Stephen King plot, though. I mean, like more and more is. I've been listening to a lot of horror podcasts, so this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not much else to do. Nope. Nothing really. <laughs> so has has theater picked up in Columbus? I know. I know. Short North is doing that. Uh, when pigs fly or something, but yeah, uh, they're, they're doing a couple. <laughs> um, they've got the, the one with Nina West coming up, I believe, mm -hmm. weeks from now. So they, they've filmed it, they're streaming. Um, yeah. But other than that, there's there's just not much that people can do. There are a couple companies that are doing some streaming stuff, mm -hmm. but you know, we're being cautious. Um, yeah, yeah. We're, you know, Ohio State football just came back. So, of course, yeah. That, yeah. And strip clubs came back, I heard. In yes, you can get naked, but you can't <laughs> so, the theater. That's great. They came back in Pennsylvania, too. Good to know. Theaters aren't open, but, but strip clubs are. So, but, you know, they good do project less in stripping. Do we? Do, you, I say you, we. No, I'm not a stripper. Sorry. Actors project Sorry. more. Oh, okay. So, I see where you're yes, going now. Yes, yeah, but I think, not that I know this, um, but I think that if I a stripper heard. was sitting on your lap, that might be a little dangerous. With project, I mean, I don't know. Don't call me yeah. a fool. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll accept that. Yeah. <laughs> what they think they do. <laughs> I've read about in gentlemen's magazines. Yes. Yes. I've heard about it and yes. seen it in movies. Well, you know, I, I will tell you something. I'll tell you if, if you want a theater story. <laughs> we're here for a theater strip club story, but um, I I don't. No, it's it's okay. But I I don't. I really don't patronize these places. Yeah. And I was directing production of Miss Saigon in Morgantown, West Virginia, let's say about 15 years ago. I think it was 2005. And you know, this was the one week stock where you come, you know, you come in and you have your meetings over the phone and you come in on Sunday, you have your production meeting and you start rehearsing uh, Monday and you're opening the following Tuesday. Right. And the scenic designer was a friend of mine. He, he wouldn't mind my saying his name, Mike Winkleman. And, um, we were sitting <laughs> in the production meeting and I would say, well, you know, I'd really like to have this in the strip scene or the club scene. Yeah. And he goes, those things don't exist in strip clubs. And I went, what do you mean? He says, they don't. He said, haven't you ever been to a strip club? I said, oh, I, I actually haven't. He says, okay, well, we're going to go tonight. <laughs> and so he took me to the strip. We went to the strip club and, you know, he, he showed me around and, you know, then he, went upstairs and I sat down and watched. It was kind of interesting and I saw that he was right. We went, I can't even remember what it was I wanted. Um, <laughs> and it was something that didn't exist in the strip club. So in that particular <laughs> maybe a mirrored ball, I don't know. But that, yeah. <laughs> so now I know. 
Wow. Were you weren't like taking notes in the strip club, were you? <laughs> yeah, sure, yes, I was taking notes, yeah. I was taking notes out of my wallet and putting them in. <laughs> Only I because just, I felt guilty. I like how you explained, though, that he was showing you around. Like, yeah, you <laughs> see, see that? See that? That's what I'm talking about. There's no mirrored ball in this strip. Now, maybe some strip clubs have a mirrored ball, but not this one. And we didn't have it in Miss Saigon. So, you know, because for our listeners who are not necessarily familiar with Saigon, are you familiar with Miss Saigon? Mm -hmm. Okay. But for some, it might be a little bit older because it, it takes place in Vietnam in a strip club. Well, it takes not just a strip club, but it's, it takes in 1975, just as, as, uh, as South Vietnam was basically falling to the communists. And it takes place as uh, the, the whole thing is that the remaining American servicemen had a place to go. And that's where he meets the girl and he falls in love with her and she gets pregnant and then he has to leave. She misses the helicopter and, you know, such a happy a butterfly sort of kind of sort of, you know, mm. yeah. So, a, so but the strip club a lot takes a pl place in that strip. A lot, lot happens in the strip club. Yes. Yeah. Where essentially yeah. the heat is on in Saigon. Yes. Yeah. The opening number. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing it on the tour when it came through Columbus and just being amazed at how they toured with the helicopter. Like, did you have the helicopter in? Um, I, I've done it now three times at three different theaters and twice we didn't have the helicopter. And once we actually had the helicopter, that was another amazing experience. But we, you know, I, this is just the kind of jobs I do. This one was uh, Virginia Music Theater in Virginia Beach. And they rented the Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera um, set, okay. which came from Paper Mill. Now for your, the, the, these, the, the, for, for your, viewers or listeners, a lot of times theaters will, will build a set. They'll spend an enormous amount of money on the set. I mean, hundreds of thousand dollars. Then they'll rent it out to people. And, uh, and so they rented this set from uh, Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera by, by way of um, uh, paper mill. And was another one of these weak things. It's like you start in a week and all of a sudden you're teching and there was no technical director at this theater. They brought somebody from Pittsburgh to like help us put the set together, but he hadn't looked at it, I think in months or years. And on the Monday where they loaded out, there's, we're all looking at laptops going, looking at set pieces and going, well, I think this goes there. And I think, that, and we were opening two days later. I think this goes there. And the, the helicopter, this one had a helicopter in it. And you know what it was? It was one of those things that they use in, shop, in uh, uh, supermarkets where the, um, the thing goes, the, the, I don't know, when they're doing work on a top shelf, somebody gets oh, in and it's like a scissor. It's called a scissor something. Anyway, that was that was the helicopter. That didn't work that didn't work until the first performance. I mean, we had no idea whether it was actually gonna work. Uh, it, this was a nightmare. A, a total night. The choreographer and I would take turns going out of the room and taking Xanax. And, uh, and, wow. and yeah, it was, it was wow. yeah. Uh, a very illustrious career I've had. <laughs> the other times what they do is they put something on flies and they come in and, you know, you don't need it. It's the show is, has its strengths, but uh, it is nice if you can, if you can get one, I guess. Well, it's like Phantom of the Opera and the, and the Chandelier. I mean, it's that yeah. big piece that, that everybody seems to think is good for it, but. Well, there are people, unfortunately, that think that is the show. I, I'd like to think it's not. <laughs> Just I, like I don't think the helicopter is Miss Saigon, but. Um, I always love that when we talk about opera, 
Hmm. People are like, well, I love opera. Phantom of the Opera. It's <laughs> my favorite opera. <laughs> we lose, uh-oh. We lose you? You are frozen. So. You are frozen. There we go. Move your head. Shake your head. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm there again. You know. Okay, good. Now we're, right. we're back. I'm right next to the router, too, so. Uh, okay. Maybe it's pretty right. We're good. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Yep. So when did you, when did you start acting? Because you started as an actor before a director. Yeah. Well, I joined Actors' Equity, I think, when I was 21, okay. which was two years ago, I think, something like that, maybe. Yeah, I guess. No, that was actually in 1973, I want to say. And, um, you know, I, I always, I was one of those nerdy kids that didn't know what they wanted to do and didn't excel at anything as a teenager. And, you know, my father, a very brilliant electrical engineer, was very frustrated with me because I didn't understand algebra, nor did I want to, or geometry and all that. And then I discovered when I was about 15 or 16 that this is something I could do. Mm -hmm. And people recognized it. And that's when I started doing stuff like the Fantastics uh, in community theater. So I started then. I went to Cincinnati Conservatory and then moved to New York in the early 70s, mid-70s, and really worked uh, as an actor till about, well, honestly, the last thing I actually did on stage was 2004. But okay. I've been directing since I'd say 97, and that was my preference. I, I mean, if somebody came up with a job that paid well, I would do it. Now I, yeah. you know, then I just stopped going to auditions. But so I was in it for, you know, it's been my pretty much my teenage and adult life. Yeah. You know? What was, I'm always curious because you know, my, my experience with directing has been extremely small as of late, but what was the first experience directing for you? Um, well, there's two, actually. Well, there, there's actually two experiences. One is when I realized I wanted to be a director. Okay. I was one of those pain in the actors that always what? thought they could no. do it better than me. Not you. So, so I'm going to give you two, one experience, which is kind of interesting, and then my really first experience as a director. But the first, ex I was doing the national tour of Camelot in 1977. Okay. with Rock Hudson playing King Arthur. Wow. And, yeah, this was 1977. It was a summer stock tour. It was kind of, you know, I mean, I was a snot-nosed kid. I, let's see, 77, I would have been 23 or 24 years old. And, you know, there were people in, <laughs> in 77, you could actually people in the show who were in the original version, and there were some. And there was, uh, the director was a fellow by the name of Stockton Briggle, who was a very well-known TV director at the time. It was a, it, for me, it was a big deal. And I, I, I was like the, little, the third tree from the left, basically. That, that was my, my character. Yeah. And anyway, so do you guys know Camelot at all, the show at all? Not really, no. Okay, well, there's a number called Fie on Goodness in the second act where Mordred, the nasty bastard son of King Arthur, decides to turn all the knights against King Arthur, and he sings this, this macho, very macho song with all the knights in their armor. Fie on goodness, fie, fie, and it goes on like this. And, and they couldn't figure out how to finish the song. And we had this, we had this um, you know, we, we were working on it, and they'd say, try this, try this, and it, it, never, it never really worked well. In fact, it, it wasn't on, on the Broadway production until maybe six months after it opened. Okay. So we're going through it, and, and I'm, here's, here's, you know, this 
snot-nosed 23-year-old with all these very experienced actors, uh, equity board members. It was quite intimidating for me. And um, so we, we, we have this break and we still, you know, we have a 10 minute break and I go up to the musical director and John Anderson is his name. And I said, John, I, I have an idea for how the number should end. <laughs> and he, this guy, like, he's been conducting stuff since the 50s or 60s. And he just looks at me like, you do. <laughs> he didn't say anything. He didn't say, what is it? And I said, well, what if you took like a railroad track before the final, the final five, five, goodness, five, 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 railroad track, or that means rest, yeah. five, and then make, instead of saying it, they sing the note. And, and he looks at me and he goes, he said nothing, nothing, just, just nodded his head. And I felt like, okay, I'm just going to like crawl into the floor. Right. <laughs> so we come back from the break and they're huddled around the piano. And John says, okay, we're gonna try this. Uh, he said, we're gonna call this the Lakata pause. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks at me and we did it. And the director said, That's, that works, that's work. And I thought, you know what? I, I kind of know a little bit about that. Yeah. So that's when I started thinking I was better than directors. Oh, yes. And then in, in 97, I was, I was doing a, um, a production of Guys and Dolls somewhere, and they were doing Annie Get Your Gun next, and uh, I don't think the, the artistic director of the theater really wanted to do Annie Get Your Gun, not a lot of people do, and I blame them. Uh, <laughs> would you co-direct it with me? He wanted uh, my other half, my, my better half, to choreograph it, and she said, I can only do it if, if Michael will do it, because I've never choreographed before, and I, I have ideas. So, so he hired her as a choreographer. I was the called me co-director, not even assistant. And it just turned out that I ended up doing most of the show because he saw that I, I kind of knew it. And that's, and then they ended up giving me more jobs and um, that theater. And that's when it kind of started. And it's kind of felt to me like there was a, I put a pair of shoes on that really fit well. That's our slippers. That, that's how I feel about, I mean, I, I should be, I am grateful for my, my, my career as an actor because I did, make a good living out and now that i'm semi-retired I, I do get some kind of a pension for it but i was never happy doing it it's when when, when i put that those director shoes on it was like i felt in camelot you know okay now this yeah. is what i should be doing and um it's and i i, I probably told you krista but i people said you want to be on stage no no way you ever sit out there no i do not i love being able to have a glass <laughs> of wine before the opening night and just sit out and, and watch it and, and see what, you know, what, see if what I have in my head translates yeah. to the stage. So that, but that's about where it started. Absolutely. I, would say, you know. I mean, that works out too, to have a glass of wine before opening night. If <laughs> As an actor, I never did. I mean, I, could, I, I just didn't trust myself. I had a hard enough time remembering lines. And stuff like that. I didn't have very many in our productions, so I thought I think I was okay. <laughs> I, I, hey, I'm not judging anybody. I'm, I'm not, not at all. So. What is what is your your favorite directing experience you've ever had? Oh, you're asking me whether apples and oranges. They're all. Uh, okay, let's let's here. I'll make it easier on you. Um, best as far as experience, not just show, but like the whole experience was just beautiful and wonderful and perfect. 
Um, I'll have to say that, um, interestingly, I could say there's two. Well, no, there's three. It's between doing Les Mis and be between doing Kiss of the Spider Woman and at Short North and La Caja Full at Short North. Mm -hmm. um, each show is like completely different, but uh, I guess I say Kiss of the Spider Woman because it's because I love dark. I mean, La Caja Full is just fun. Les Mis is, you know, Les Mis. Kiss of the Spider Woman, not a lot of people do it and it's so dark and I loved the research I had to do to, to you know, the films I had to watch about it, about Chile and about that whole Pinochet era in, in Chile. Um, I love that, you know, the musical, the musical director who also was the arranger. We really studied arrangements because we wanted to adapt the score, which was scored on Broadway for much bigger to us, a smaller uh, orchestration. And it was just, you know, a really strong cast. And it's my, you know, I mean, had a great cast for Lacage also. And I had a great cast for, cast for Saturday Night Fever. I mean, there's, you know, you always get great, but I like dark things. I like, you know, people walking out of the theater and having to talk about it yeah. and knowing they're talking about it. Um, so that, I guess I'd say at this point, that's one of the ones I really enjoyed. Where, where do you start when you are, when you're given something to direct? So somebody says, hey, I want you to direct this show. Like, where do you start? Well, usually um, I'll just say yes. Uh, and then they say, do you know, know and I'll say, oh, of course I know it. And then I'll rush up to a Lincoln Center and see the, uh, the video archive. Now, where yeah. do I start? Um, well, I do want to get familiar with it. So I think you have to, I, I, I will say I read it first. And um, if I've seen it, then it's in my mind. So I, I have something in my mind. And I always like to go up and to Sirius at Lincoln Center and, and see if I didn't see it, see what's on the, in the archives there. Um, and then at one point, I just kind of let go of everything I've seen. And I just kind of work through it myself to try to figure out you know, sometimes I, oh, another thing I do, interestingly, which I should have mentioned, is I love to, to go back and read the reviews from Broadway, oh, especially exactly. if they, some of them are, especially the bad ones, because yeah. it, it, it becomes a, um, uh, take this down a little bit, no, that doesn't work, <laughs> because, because, because if, there, if there are faults to it, I'd like to see if maybe I can solve those, if I can, you know, right solve those issues and so yeah. that's another thing i do and then whatever is out there research-wise films you know if it's a little night music you know there's a it's based on a film uh, something of a summer night i'll watch that maybe a couple of times read what's ever available it's i love it that's what i love about directing yeah is the research you can just your mind expands mm -hmm. directing les mis you know you read the whole book of les mis that's yep. a long book to read, but long book. I'm, really, I'm really happy I read it because it gave me a lot of insight into the into directing. The, so, the nerd, let me nerd out for you. I know this will really shock you. I read it when I was in fourth grade. <clears throat> you read Les Mis when you were in fourth grade? Now, did I understand it? No. <laughs> but I would walk around with this copy of the book and just leaf through it. Just be like, I just want everyone to see what I'm reading. I'm reading Les Miserables. I know the musical by heart. That's how big I had a lot of friends, Michael. I had it in my iPad, and I, I, I kid you not, it probably took me from the end of January that year to the beginning or middle of May to get through it. I mean, it was just, it took me, for, I'm, and I'm a slow reader, but, you know, you have to get used to the style. And, and but, yeah, so for you probably, what did you do, take two weeks or read the cliff notes, or did you read the whole thing? No, I read the whole thing. I, I mean, 
Yeah, I don't, again, I don't remember it. And I remember I had, my grandma gave me a credit card sized magnifying glass because mm -hmm. the print was so small. So as if I were not dorky enough walking around as a fourth grader reading Les Miserables, which I didn't really understand, I'm reading it with a magnifying glass. Like again, yeah, uh, yeah the cool points. Just... <laughs> but there's a lot, well, they also, you know, I had a, a few friends and colleagues who were in the original Broadway production of it. And that, that had six weeks of rehearsals, like yeah. three or four weeks of, of workshopping. And they'd already done it in London, but they had to, um, you know, part of the, uh, the process was they all had to read the book and then they'd yeah. come in and every morning they would do like a dance class mm -hmm. and a warm up, And then for the first two weeks, they'd say, okay, you know, take this chapter, go do it and take this yeah. and do that. So, you know, uh, and that's the way to do it though. I mean, that's, you know, mm -hmm. kind of what, what I tell my students and I know what you tell your actors is like, you've got to do the work mm -hmm. but to find out on Saturday, Saturday night fever, even when we'd open how few people had actually watched the movie. I'm like, you're, you're yeah. kidding, right? Like you, you got, you got to do that before. I had never seen it before. I've never seen the movie before. Oh, interesting. No, I had seen parts of it. And then I watched what I discovered was the uh, R rated version not the PG version. I was like, wow, these, <clears throat> there's a lot more happening. I told you I was in it, right? The what? I was in the, that movie. Yeah, you told me that. You were in one of the dancing scenes. I, I was an extra and I wasn't there. I was just in a, in a booth in the disco. But yeah, I got to see it. Yeah, that was back in my days as an extra. That's how you made a living as an actor in New York. Yeah. If you weren't a star. Not <laughs> happening so much these days. <laughs> not a lot of extra work out there right now. What is your what was your favorite experience then as an actor when you did that? Oh, that by far was doing Sweet Charity on Broadway with mm -hmm. um, Bob Fosse. Mm -hmm. uh, just because I got to work with Bob Fosse and Gwen Verton yeah. and um, Cy Coleman. It was uh, it was I, my, I was hired as the uh, the standby for the two leading men. There's Vittorio Vidal, who's the movie star, and then there's Oscar Lindquist, who's the the, the accountant. Yeah. And I also I also was covering uh, Charlie Darkglasses, who's the guy that pushes her into the lake in oh. the first scene. So I was basically like a like a acting swing, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, the the dancers uh, they needed they you know the the skill and the skill set of the dancers was so high and the type was so important that, you know, there were guys that they felt could do it, but they wanted to make sure that there was someone who was a little more age appropriate for the roles uh, if they had to go on. So that was, that was really, uh, you know, a thrill, first of all, to be involved in, in a Broadway production yeah. and then to be working with those people right. was, was just, uh, was just amazing. And uh, in fact, I mean, if you're interested in, are you guys interested in stories and? Yes, yeah. yes, that's why we're here. <laughs> I'm talking to the right person because I can't shut up about these things. You're talking to <laughs> well, Michael, one the Michael, that's the beauty of a podcast is you don't have to. This is why we bring you on to tell your stories and not shut up, so go. Okay, well, anyway, so, <laughs> so that was my job. My job was the standby. I also appeared in Rhythm of Life mm -hmm. and I appeared in, uh, I only cry. I only cry at weddings. Or uh, yeah, I appeared in that, and um, but basically I was covering those two roles. And um, for the first six months of the run, Debbie Allen was playing um, Charity, okay. which sold 
like hotcakes and it was a huge hit. And and then they then Anne Ranking went into it. She Debbie's contract was up after six months and Anne Ranking went into it as as charity. Find me who she is. I know Anne Ranking. Um, Chicago. The, the the Chicago revival. She was the Roxy in the Chicago revival on Broadway. Um, tall, leggy. Did you ever see Bob's film, um, uh, All That Jazz? No. Okay. Well, she was. She played Bob's girlfriend in 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 Anne Ranking. It's R R E I I N Ranking. Yeah. Just put Anne, and then I think it's. I don't think it's King. I think it's Ken. Ryan King. That's Anne Ryan King. The mid-show Google, you know? Yeah. So. She's just always, you know, this makes for such good radio. And when yeah. she's looking something up, she's just trying well, to be nuts. Uh, Anne was, um, Anne worked with Bob a long time, a lot. She was I with mean, he, Bob, according to the Wikipedia. Well, yeah, you saw, I didn't, yes, she was with Bob. She basically okay. was with Bob. Okay. Um, she, I think the first thing she did for for Bob, with Bob was, uh, Pippin on Broadway yeah. back in the seventies, okay. uh, and then and then she did a lot of his shows, and they were actually you know as the as the Wikipedia said they were together. Yeah. And then um, when um, when Debbie left the show, uh, Bob wanted to have her come in and play charity, and um, uh, so we had and, and interestingly enough, now they weren't together at this time, yeah. but. I think um, Bob and Gwen were actually Bob and Gwen were married. Mm -hmm. um, were never divorced. Were never not married. I mean, they they were when she was his wife when he died, and she was okay. intimately with him, which is another story we can go into. But but you know, Bob did Sweet Charity initially for Gwen mm -hmm. as a, as kind of a gift to her in in 1966, and then in this revival, um, Bob. The revival was originally done in Los Angeles and San Francisco, and I want to say 1985. And Bob didn't really have anything to do with it. Gwen was directing it with a uh, another director by the name of John Boeb, and Gwen was kind of supervising the choreography. And as I understand it, uh, they they were ready to open in San Francisco. Bob came out and saw it and said, "No, this isn't Sweet Charity as I want it to be." So they closed it down and. Redid it for a couple of weeks, wow. and, and then and then that's when it got picked a big huge hit on the West Coast in '85. Yeah. Then it came up came to New York with Debbie Allen, and when Debbie's contract ended in the fall of I guess it was '86, yeah, fall of '86, uh, Anne came in. Now that's where I come into the picture because I was um, I was standing by for those roles, mm -hmm. and I said to the stage manager. I volunteered myself. I said, listen, you know, if, um, if you need, because she had about a month rehearsal period before the show stopped, before yeah. she went in, she said, I said, if you want me to come in and work with her, as opposed to having somebody just read the script, um, you know, I know the three roles. Yeah. And he said, well, let me talk to Bob about it. And Bob said, yeah, that's a great idea. He said, bring him in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would have done it totally for free, but they even paid me, I... which, which was great. Yeah. So, um, uh, we would, I'd, I'd go in, um, you know, it was at the Minskoff uh, Rehearsal Studios, which was just above the Minskoff Theater. Now, for your listeners who are familiar with New York, the Minskoff Rehearsal Studios is now the MTV TV studios. Oh, okay. 
There used to be, uh, Alvin Ailey was right below it. And then there was the Minskoff rehearsal studios above it, which is, you know, and then the theater was in the other part of the building. So I'd go in at 10 o'clock every morning and I'd work with, um, we'd do blocking with, with Anne and Gwen was there. And um, Cy Coleman sometimes came in to work with her on music and a dance captain and a stage, and two stage, man two dance captains, a stage manager and me. And then we'd go to lunch about one and at two, Bob would come in and he would just look at what we did, uh, uh, look at the work that was done and work with us on it. Yeah. And so we were doing the, are you familiar with Sweet Charity at all? I love Sweet Charity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We were doing the movie star scene, okay. which is, uh, it's, 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 it's probably, well, the two strongest scenes in the play, I think, as, because I've directed, it would be the movie star scene and the, uh, in the elevator scene, but they're almost like plays within a play. You know, they really, you know, the movie star scene has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's done. And then the movie starts done. He's, yeah. you know, you do it, you, you, you go off, and you don't come back to the curtain calls. Um, and then Oscar comes in. But we were doing the movie star scene, and there was a, and there was a, um, a, it was a part of the scene where she's sitting at the bar. The bar is stage right. Mm -hmm. And they had constructed a wooden bar. It wasn't like, you know, where we do stuff where they, you know, throw something in there for you to a card chair and say this is this chair is your bar it was actually a bar they brought in for us to work yeah. with which was kind of cool and we're at the Minskoff studios I'm trying to let lay the picture out for you it was a cold kind of cold November day and this particular studio was windows all around it and it was on the corner of Schubert Alley which was on um so you're looking directly at the Schubert Theater where Chorus Line was playing you're looking across the street at Sardis and it, these big huge windows and, and so we're sitting up and we're playing it against the windows and Anne is having a particular problem with a scene where she's chewing on a piece of on, a, on an olive and she chews on the olive and she can't figure out and then she finds the pit and she takes the pit out of her mouth and puts it into the ashtray and goes scoozy and she just couldn't get that moment right mm -hmm. <laughs> Right for Bob. I mean, it looked right. fine to me, but Bob, you know, it couldn't get the, the moment right. And uh, and so we were doing it. We do it. We do it. And we do it. And finally, Ann just kind of breaks down in tears and says, Bobby, Bobby, I can't do this. I just can't do this role. I can't. Please don't I, I, get somebody else. I can't do it. She's tears are coming out of her eyes. Over in the corner is Gwen Verdon sitting against the mirror. Tears coming out of her eyes going, Annie, Annie, it's okay. I had the same problem at that with that moment. You'll get it. You'll get it. You're almost there. She's and is in two, Cy Coleman is sitting next to Gwen. And Bob Flossie is sitting on his card table chair, dressed in black like he is. And he could smoke in the rehearsals at that time. His glasses were down on a chain and the smoke and the cigarette was in his mouth and the, the ashes were going on the, uh, hmm. on the glasses. And he's just kind of nodding, not saying anything. And I'm sitting there going, okay, you know what? And there's the Schubert Theater and there's Sardis. And I said, you know what, if I die, tonight on the way out of the, the rehearsal studio. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe that I was actually in there. So that's the story I was. Wow. Hmm. So that, that was a wonderful experience. That's My awesome. goodness. What yeah. show have you not directed that you want to? I'd like to do nine. Hmm. The first thing that comes out of my mouth is nine because I did that as an actor once. Hmm. Um, I was too young to do it, but, uh, but, uh, but I, I would love to do mine. I, I just, um, yeah. you know, there was a, you know, I mean, my, my, 
my, I, my life as an actor was standby understudy. That's how I did everything. And nine was at the, uh, what they call the Westchester Broadway Theater in Elmsford, New York. And they felt I was too young for Guido at 35, which I probably was. But they, once again, when you have a play, nine is one man, bunch of little boys and all women. There was no understudy for, uh, for Guido. And, and so they hired me to be the Guido understudy. So I went up for the week of rehearsal and basically just watched. And then the, the deal was I would come in once a week for understudy rehearsals on Thursday or Friday. Yeah. And that was it. And uh, we, we got, we started rehearsals on Monday. On Friday, we're going up on the train with the guy playing Guido. And he pulls me aside and he said, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just got a call from Bermuda. My father was in a serious car accident. And I, so we, we got up to the theater, started rehearsals. They pulled him out of rehearsal an hour later, and then he was gone. And they called me into the office, and I said, um, he, Robert's gone. You're, you're opening it on Wednesday. And I, how do you want to go about doing this? Right. I just said, okay, let's assume I got all the blocking. I got all the music. Just continue on. They were a little behind in the, in, in the staging of it. And then, you know, I don't know, I ended up doing it for a month or so yeah so but I've done a lot of that that was that's my career that that you know in fact I think some of my best performances of an as an actor would come when I was just thrown into the situation hmm. and it was like I had every excuse to be horrible so I could just get rid of all my insecurities and do right. the job it's yeah. like it's like you get these it's like it's an outer body experience because because it's like, what happened? Why, why would, why can't I feel like that whenever I go on stage? Right. You know, why, why can't, you know, but it's like, okay, nobody's, ex they're expecting me to suck. And if I don't suck and I, and I didn't because I did my work only because I did my homework and I came in prepared, but yeah, I did a lot of that, a lot yeah. of it in my career. You know, it's a, funny it's because sometimes people ask you, what is your, for me, like, what's the favorite show that I ever did? And ironically, it's one that, we had literally six rehearsals from mm -hmm. day one to opening. And the four of us, you know, all being in the same boat, knowing how much work we had to do coming into it because we didn't have time to figure things out is still one of my favorite productions we've ever done. We did I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. And I, I mean, I agree that going in, knowing like, well, here we go. <laughs> yes. when, I, when I went into the Fantastics in New York, which is something I'd always wanted to do. I mean, yeah. I, was, I played the boy, in the Fantastics as a teenager. And then I always wanted to play Al Gallo. And I, when I moved to New York in the 70s, I was going in there every year auditioning for something. But I was yeah. too old for the boy, too ethnic looking for the boy. Uh, and I was not old enough to play Al Gallo. And finally, in, in about 85, I guess, they felt sorry for me. Said, okay, let's let him do El Gallo. And, uh, and so I did it. And, and once again, I got to remember this vividly. This is I started rehearsals on the day of the Challenger disaster back in eighty. Mm. Yeah, I remember going into the box office and and seeing it all happen on on a break. But you know, you rehearsed with the stage manager by yourself yep. during the day, a full day. Then you watched the show at night, and you just rehearsed the next day. And it just went on like this, and then the following Tuesday, you know, Monday was a day off, and Tuesday you you'd have a put in rehearsal with the company. Yeah. And then you'd go in and then you were in the show. That's how they put you into El Gallo. And right. um, there was no understudy for El Gallo hired. So whenever El Gallo, there was always an understudy for the boy and the girl and 
I think the fathers, something was, I don't know how it happened, but there was, they just had a list. And if El Gaia was out, they'd call the list and yeah. see who was available to come in. And you just walk in and do it. So I, I went through the, um, I went through the rehearsal and I got to Sunday and, and off Broadway schedule was Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday. And after the performance Saturday, Sunday afternoon, the guy playing, uh, David, David Cryer, the guy playing Ogayo at the time. Now, David Cryer, just so you're, make the connection john crier of two and a half men yeah. that's mm -hmm. david's father okay and, and david and i were in Avita a couple of years earlier on broadway mm -hmm. but david said to me you know i'm not feeling well i don't know if i can do it tonight and and then the stage manager came to me and says listen you don't have to do it because you you haven't you know you haven't had a rehearsal and equity rules say you have to have a rehearsal but if you and we'll call somebody in but we have to pay somebody two weeks salary but if you would like to try to go on tonight without a put-in rehearsal, you can. And I said, sure, why not? Let me yeah. try it. Yeah. And, um, it was probably my best, my best performance. <laughs> I never matched that performance. But you're right. I mean, it was awful. When it's not like, you just know I have nothing but everything that I put into it. Let's just go and see what happens. There is, there's this odd sense of like pride and... <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I part of my problem as an as an actor, and why I really love directing is because because an actor must really be very inside out. You must be looking through the eyes of who you are. Yeah. Where a director needs to pull himself out of it and look at the project. I mean, I was one of those obnoxious actors that I'd be doing a show and I'd be laying in bed at three o'clock in the morning the day before or before rehearsal, thinking of how I was going to play the part. And it, it, it didn't matter what anybody did around me. I was just going to do it that way. Wow. And um, this kind of actor I never hire. If they remind me of me, I never hire them. But um, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but for some reason, when you're in that situation where you're just thrown into it, yeah, and all of a sudden, all those little things you learn, you have nothing but the technique, you have nothing but the work you've done, and you just, so, I don't know, it, it's my the way my brain works. Yeah. That's you know, so that and that's why I'm happier as a director. Because I get it. I get it. I think I when I first started directing. I had, I used to wear the Fitbit. It was amazing to see the number of steps I would take as a director. Oh, really? Wow, I yeah. can't stand still. Granted, I'm directing children. Yeah. You know, so you can't really stand still anyway, but just the amount of movement I would do mm -hmm. through the house and up on the stage and up sure. around. And yeah. I don't know if that was frenetic nervousness <laughs> or <laughs> working with kids. I don't, I don't know. Really, uh, maybe but. it's a little bit of both, but I, I admire you for working with kids. Oh. I've done it a few times. And, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's different when, honestly, I, I mean, I don't know if it was, I've talked to a couple people, they're like, I think you started in the hard way of starting by directing with kids, you do not working with adults who act like children. Um, yeah. I don't know. But it, yeah, kids are interesting to, to work with. You can't, you know, I love kids as an audience. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. if I had my way, I would love to do one preview audience for a show, oh my goodness. I love to do a preview audience for a show just for kids. Yeah. I did Drood last year somewhere, and I said, everybody can, you can, it was a community theater in, in, uh, in semi community theater in this area. And I said, you know, this, this run through tonight, tomorrow night, invite your families. I want all the kids to come because I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. 
because they can catch all that stuff that's not you know truthful and not believable and i learn a lot from 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 kids yeah now, directing them that can has its challenges but <laughs> usually it's the parents though not the kids <laughs> well and that i mean for for me i don't allow parents in mm -hmm. um i don't I was actually, I had this conversation with one of my private students and that she's preparing for her college audition. She's like, yeah, you know, my mom will come in and she'll film. And I said, I love your mom. I know you love your mom, but are you going to be less comfortable and change everything you're doing because mom is standing there? Like, I think it's better to pull the parents out of the production mm -hmm. thing because we do, we change ourselves up. I know I do. Part of that is because mom's a performer, but you change who you are when your parents are in the space. So it's better to pull them out of that. Cause so often it's like, you see these kids that are doing this to please mommy and daddy. Yeah. That's, that's not what you want. It's similar to this online schooling thing. Like, you know, yeah. trying to get Layla to, to focus on that computer and then, and the classes and, you know, she's hanging all over me and, you know, okay, let's start in five minutes. Can I have 10 minutes? But then when she does the zoom classes with the, with the teachers, it's like a different person. It's, yeah, it's like she, you know, she, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh -huh. it's, it's, and I guess that, I guess that does happen. So next time I direct kids, I'll keep all the parents out of the room. I've only had a couple of them throw fits. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, that's, it's so interesting now being on camera too, like having to see what, now that we're doing like virtual directing, having to see what the kids have in their home environment and how focused they are versus being together in a space where they can kind of yeah. forget everything that's going on or their cat randomly walks across yes yeah or the door is open and she's you know zooming with her sister and you oh yeah her yeah because yeah. they find everything i don't know about about layla but mine we we decided we either have dysentery in the water or the food <laughs> is causing something because they have to go to the bathroom a lot during the school day oh yes no that's normal that's uh, no yeah there was something that happened and, and this is where the teachers are great uh -huh. something the other day where she something wasn't working properly in the program yeah and she so i contacted the teacher just to say this won't be coming in because this isn't happening right and she got so upset with me layla got so upset with me she mm -hmm. started to cry and then the teacher actually called and zoomed wanted to zoom and talk about it with her okay. and basically you know i said god i feel so responsible for this and the teacher said you get used to it because as they get older <laughs> it's all going to be your fault anyway as they get she said i have a 13 year old and everything is my fault so the teacher talked to her off the ledge and it was it was fine yeah yeah, yeah it's a uh, 13 year olds are fun it's coming mm -hmm. it's, yeah. so fun. it's awesome a couple years yeah yep a couple okay. of years that's all right i i walk around going oh i'm the worst mom ever yay <laughs> how i feel my gosh girls too Ben's got, Ben is, Ben has a young enough one that yep. he doesn't know this yet. She's just turned two yeah. and she's still very sweet okay. when she wants to be. Last night she climbed out of her crib at like two o'clock in the morning and then fell asleep in her box of like stuffed animals. And that's how we found her this morning. And it was adorable. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I know. Well, enjoy them. They're, God, they're so, they're so beautiful. You know, yeah. they're beautiful. You know, Layla's beautiful at nine. Yeah. I, you know. I guess the teenager years, they tell me, are going to be tough. 
so yeah, I was telling Ben yesterday, we, uh, my daughter actually came with me to an audition because they're wanting families right now, you know, to, to prevent having to quarantine everybody before a commercial. Mm -hmm. But she got to play my daughter, you know, hard role to play. Um, and the point of it was that everything that I was doing was annoying to her and obnoxious to her. I said, honey, this is gonna be really hard, but you have to respond to me by rolling your eyes and looking annoyed. Do you think you can handle that? <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. The casting director's like, wow, it looks like you've done that before. <laughs> I, have a, I have a friend here in, uh, in, well, actually at home in Bucks County that has a, I want to say a 13 year old boy that's very, you know, she takes him to New York for auditions all the time. He's done yeah. some commercials. He's, he's really a go-getter and she's a go-getter mom. Yeah. And, and he's, he's probably the, the actor I know that works most yeah. uh, that I'm acquainted with. And this is a 13 year old kid. Right. But during this COVID thing that he, he booked a commercial and I'm not, the, the, the whole idea of the commercial was it was supposed to look like cell phone videos and it was right in the height of the credit of the, of the okay. crisis. Yeah. They said, you have a trampoline, go out and just do this. Take, you know, film him with your cell phone. Yeah. And just take a lot of film and send it to us. And they edited it and edited it into the commercial so that they didn't have to send the crew down. It's probably cheaper too, but they didn't have to send the crew down and they didn't have to have anybody, you know, besides family involved. Right. Right. I found really interesting. What I'm seeing now is what they're calling, I think I told you this the other day, eco-casting, mm -hmm. where it is all done on your own. But I saw one that was like, okay, so if you are accepted, you will be sent a green screen and a tripod. So it's like they're sending the equipment to you, which yeah. petrifies me. That's where I'm like, yeah. Ben, I need your help. I can't there's, do there's people that have YouTube careers now where yeah. literally they just read like top 10 lists or whatever it is. There's a guy that I follow who's a British guy who's fantastic and just really, really well uh, spoken, really uh, just, I mean, it, he's clever, fun to listen yeah. to, that kind of thing. And it's, if you're good at it, man, yeah, there's money to be made, especially now. Wow. That's crazy. And I don't know if, if Layla's into this, but like the YouTube stars mm. and just following these people, like some, some of the kids. She wanted, is very much into it. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And how much money they're making from it too. Yeah. There's one girl that's enormously talented. I can't remember her name, but mm. she's dark it's hair. Krista Stofford. Krista Stofford. That's <laughs> right. I forget. I forget. Yeah. Yeah. Krista Stofford. Okay. Yeah. okay. Forgot okay. all about that. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but anyway, there she she, it, she does this very funny character with bright red lips, and mm. a couple of times she's had film of her singing and beautiful singer. I mean, really mm. a talented girl. But yeah, she's really into that. That's a big big deal nowadays. Yeah. it's yeah. there's one that my son is in. Well, both both kids. Um, his I don't know his real name, but he goes by Unspeakable, and. Mm -hmm. I don't really know the premise. Most of it is him playing video games, which drives me nuts. Like, why are you watching somebody playing video games? Which my son emulates and then talks nonstop all the time. She does time. the same thing. Oh, Roblox, God. yeah, she, she does the same thing. But to see this guy's house, that he, I think he can't be more than 22, 23. Mm -hmm. He's in this huge mansion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he lives like a five-year-old kid. It's like big, you know, yeah. <laughs> where he gets all of the fun play stuff. And well, what, what pays is, is it the, the um, I guess yeah. it's the advertising, right? Sponsorships, yeah. 
Yeah, that's really what does it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, nice. that and they have uh, like Patreons that basically is sort of like them doing other things, just yeah. kind of, you know, whatever it is, and they sell merchandise. Those are the big Or as Unspeakable calls it, merch. Merch. And if I call yeah. it merchandise to my son, I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yes, merch. she calls it merch too. That's, that's, yeah. that's I guess, yep. wow. well, everybody, all the kids are doing it. Yeah. It's, it's the thing, and that's where it's the future of entertainment. As gross as it is, uh, it's that's it's and that's and bigger, that's bigger. scary to those of us who make a living. I know, I know, it's terrifying. Yeah. It's ter you're right, it's terrifying. And yeah. I mean, if I was younger, I don't know what I would do. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's really really scary. Broadway is really scary right now. Yeah. You know, mm. because of all the theaters in the country. They are the ones that are 100% commercial. They have to sell tickets. And if you're only allowed to put 30% capacity, they're not going to be able to pay their bills. Right. So that's why they're not open. They, you know, if, yeah. they're, if they're nuts, if, they, if it costs $500,000 to stay open or to, to work every week, and a million is the, is the maximum, the potential, and they're only allowed to sell 30% of those tickets, they don't even break even. Even if you're Hamilton, you don't break even. Yeah. Well, and the ticket prices too, I, and I guess that's that's been my concern of the reopening is how much more is everybody going to have to pay, which then marginalizes the people that do get to see the production. Mm -hmm. yeah. Excuse me. Out of the bubble. <laughs> but also realize that that it's going to take. I mean, it, people aren't just going to go back. Yeah. I mean. Right. You, you know, you, the thought of sitting in a theater next to somebody who might be sick in a New York theater, you know, how many people look just a cough annoys you enough in mm. a theater. Can you imagine if you're sitting in a theater and somebody behind you is coughing? I mean, mm. people are going to go, I mean, it's really, and you know, maybe they need, it's the vaccine. I don't know, but it's going to take a while. It's, it's, and yeah. that's, that's what's scary is yeah. that you know, it's going to take a while to come back. Yeah. I was, I was on a walk yesterday. <laughs> And discovering this is really the worst time to have allergies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have perfected the art of sneezing like this. Yeah. Or coughing so going. <laughs> yeah. oh, <shit. laughs> you know, especially if you've got the mask on. Yeah. 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 It's, are, it's, it's scary. Are things opening up where you are? Are schools going back? Where, where are um, well, the schools, it really depends. Like the, the Catholic schools have actually gone back to in-person schooling. Yeah. Um, ours, in our district, we haven't. Uh, their plan is, um, the plan is uh, September will be um, the, the online four days a week. And then Friday is the day where they're all, it's like they're in school. They just do it via zoom all day okay. and then they're hoping to have the kids back twice a week in november so they alternate they have a, a red and blue groups and then once again friday is everybody okay. and then hopefully they're saying in, in december uh it'll be back to normal but they always say it really depends upon what's going on right and, and theaters nobody's doing any theater yeah. no, nobody's Which doing is, i you know i listened to a podcast um Oh, shoot, who was it? Leslie Kritzer was speaking about, you know, when is the good time to do it? And she said, Broadway's smart. They're not going to try reopening. They're going to reopen when it's right to reopen because we can't. When they can make money. Right. right. When you they know? can, that's, that's what the whole thing is. Yeah. I mean, and it's going to be later because, because Broadway is the one 
theater, well, Broadway or its tours, national tours, this is the one that's 100% dependent upon ticket sales. Right. I mean, even at the West End, if I'm not mistaken, in, in London, the government is kicking something in to help it get going. But but on Broadway, there's no grants. There's no, I mean, unless they get a grant for the, the, the COVID, the pandemic, but, yeah. you know, there's no sponsorships, there's no grants. That's, you know, there. it will be, they're not going to go back until they can, they, they, they can make money right. and until they know they're going to get people in those seats. Yeah. And I don't know when that's going to be, unfortunately. Which is depressing. What's the next show that you're going to direct? Well, uh, <laughs> well, there've been a lot of them have been falling off the edge. <laughs> the next one I'm definitely supposed to do, but I I don't know if it's going to happen or not because another one just got canceled. Yeah. Was a production of Camelot in in Virginia, okay. and then it's next spring. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm expecting to hear you know. Something at Short North was canceled, and you know we're we're still talking about that uh, that workshop you worked or that pro project you worked with us on. Yeah, Rick and Peter Moonlight. came on and talked about that one. And we're you know, I mean, that may not be until 2021 even at this point. So, um, I'm fully expecting the Camelot to be canceled, but that's uh, that's the next thing that's on. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. I'm I'm not. You know, I'm okay with that, fortunately, because I'm older. <laughs> you know, that we, we were talking about it, too, that there's there's disappointments that keep coming in, but we also are responding, like, not really surprised. Yeah. And, and maybe that's a negative or complacent, but I think it's realistic. Well, it's, no, and you're very, you know, you, I remember when, when we, you and I were discussing the, the, uh, surviving the moonlight yeah. and how adamant you were that you know this just isn't the right time I, I i can't do this to my family i can't you know you have kids that you and that's that's how people feel you know yeah. Yeah. um and I don't, I don't blame them you know so who knows I, I would really not want to have to do a rehearsal situation as a director where everybody's in masks and you know behind plexiglass and all that. And that's yeah. I think that's something I, I did. I said to to Rick and and the, the short north people. Uh, I said you know when we do do it, I really want to be able to do it, and not yeah. not 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 go do this because we've done about. It was I mean the work on Moon, surviving the moonlight I thought was very productive for a pandemic time. What did we do two Zoom readings and then they did that workshop where everybody was in their own vocal booth and yep. stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, but you know, it was, it was weird. I was actually thinking about it the other day. Um, I remember the weirdest part was at the end of it, the last day, because we did the recording on the last day. So we would just go up onto the stage when it was our time to record. And then it was just done. Yeah. Like, hey, Krista, we're good. We got what you need. And it was like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> it was well, and I got to watch the whole thing twice. So yeah, that, that, uh, well, and you know, you know how grateful we all are that you guys, you guys are terrific. It's uh, it's fun working on something like that, you know. Whether was, or not it happens, we know. It felt good, as cheesy as this sounds. It felt good to be needed again, to mm -hmm. feel useful for something. Um, you all were very useful and very helpful, and now we went back, and now we've done another version of the book you know we've it's pretty much thing but there's you know putting the like we the first zoo, for your listeners to understand it's a brand it's a new show mm -hmm. never been done and 
uh, it's been around a while. And the first thing we worked on was the book. And that's what we did for those first, we did Zoom sessions, Zoom table reads, where we just worked on book and either played the music or um, said or read the lines. And then the last one we did was where we put the music and the lyrics together and the book and the music together. And that was incredible. It was very, very valuable and learned a lot about the piece. And, you know, it was really, a, so in a, I don't feel like the COVID time was a total loss for me. No, not at all. And you were doing stuff, weren't you? You were doing a theater company where I, I watched some of your stuff. Was uh, I? Um, I mean, we, we did a little bit at the beginning where people were doing Zoom readings. At this moment in time, I mean, quite frankly, for me, with my teaching schedule, I can't do a whole lot as is, but you know, people are still doing some virtual readings for free. Um, but people are also starting to figure out, okay, how can we do this two-person show streamed on a stage so that people can actually feel like they're a part of things? We've got one theater that did a drive-in. Um, they had, yeah, well, it's one of the community theaters in town, but you could drive in and they had a screen outside. You could watch the play from there. Oh, but you were watching a video, so they were having to video it also. They videoed, but they also had very limited seating capacity. It's like drive-in theater. Mm -hmm. There we are. Well, but, I see, just hope they get this, this, they get this under control so that we can go back to normal. That's, that's what I hope. Because whatever is the, the new normal. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it'll take a while. New York is going to, New York always does come back, but this time it's going to be a little, it's going to take a while, I think. Time. My brother-in-law was just up there and he, he's down visiting today and he was, he go, you know, we're only an hour, an hour and a half from New York City and yeah. Uh, he, he took some pictures and it really is depressing to, yeah. to see the pictures of the city with nothing, you know, the ticket yeah. booth with nobody sitting on the ticket booth, wow. sitting those, those steps and yeah. walk out by the train station and there's no one there. That's really scary. Yeah. You know, so. Mm. Well, my dear, thank you so much for coming on and chat with us. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. I hope I didn't talk too much, but that's what I was supposed to do, right? That's okay. We that's, talked about yeah, this. That's the show. On. You. That's what we do. Yeah. No, I, you know, I've told you enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> well, that's for the listeners. <laughs> so, well, it was great. It was a lot of fun and great to see you. Again, Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Ben, great meeting you. Lovely meeting you. Thanks and, for coming uh, by. You, when, you, when you edit this, you're going to edit this, I'm sure. Right? No, we don't edit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Unless, I'll be listening. Unless you've said something that is going to like murder somebody else, which I don't, I don't think you did. So. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> like I could have, but I'm not. <laughs> you don't. I mean, don't. We're good, but but thank you for listening to Speak yep. Easily with Krista Stoffer. You can find us on Facebook. Why did I just forget social media? SoundCloud. SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, YouTube, all Instagram, Instagram, Twitter. Are we on Twitter? MySpace. No, we're not. Shut up. We're not on MySpace. No, we're not. No, no we're not. But Does find us on there. What's that? MySpace. Does it even exist? I Think it's got it does. To. I think it does. I think it's like more like band camp. It is. It, it kind of became like a thing for bands. Oh, okay. So, but I. 
it's not thriving. So, not doing no. well. No top eight spaces for yeah. anyone. But Michael, thanks again. And well, thank you guys. It was great you. to see you. Good to see you. Have a great day. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Boxland Media. Think big.